Hello, everybody. Welcome to Great Questions, Great Conversations. I'm your host, Mike Westendorf. It is a ministry here at St. Paul's in the Bridge in Muskego, Wisconsin. And joined with me today is Erica Dresden. Erica, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me again, Mike. Yeah, Erica holds a number of different hats as part of our ministry here. And one of the things that our whole staff does every year is we're a part of the Global Leadership Summit. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, for those of you who are listening in regularly to the podcast, uh, Erica, uh, myself, and Paul Schusler uh, talked about a uh, an article that we had um, seen and kind of come across our desks regarding uh, some principles of leadership that were really helpful. And we talked a little bit about this, this Global Leadership Summit that we're a part of. And um, I... I have a way that I would describe it. You've been a part of a couple of these. How would you describe the Global Leadership Summit, Erica? When people, because this is this was my third one that I attended this this year was my third, and you know people have asked me about it, and you know what do you t- what do you take away from it? What is it really about? And kind of the blanket statement that I give everybody is, uh, you no matter what walk of life you're a part of, how old you are, where you are in your career. Um, you will take something out of this global leadership summit, if not more than one thing. There's, it's so you come out with so much new insight and this newfound um, inspiration and motivation to kind of to just start the next Monday anew. Like it's it's really an inspirational uh, two days. You know, it's um, filled with speakers. Again, these are people who have been living the life that they're going to talk about. Many of them have written books um, or have some type of resource on the topic. So these are people who didn't just stumble onto something yesterday and said, you know, I, I think this could be a good idea. I'm going to write something. They're people who are practiced and are, are professionals and experts in their fields. And like a lot of conferences, um, for all of you who are listening in, and maybe you've never been to a conference before, but uh, the general idea is you're going to get a fire hose of information. You can get overwhelmed by it if you uh, if you don't come in prepared, I guess, or take a break. But you will almost always come away with one or two things from this conference in particular that will change the way that you do your life for the better. Right. And um, since we're in in uh, ministry leadership together. Part of what we're talking about is leading in a larger organization in a, in a uh, church context. Some of you might not be church people, but you think about it as a large not-for-profit. Um, that's what we're trying to lead well. But there's also incredible stuff for you personally to grow in your personal life, your personal walk, your relationships, your families, uh, things of that nature. So for all of you listening in, why should you continue to listen? Well, what Eric and I would like to do is we would like to go through and share a couple of the big takeaways. And so instead of spending two days like we did, uh, we're going to spend uh, 35 minutes and we're going to talk about a few uh, key takeaways. And you, if you're interested, uh, we will put in the author in the book um, that we're referring to so that you can learn more if you feel that it would be helpful in your journey. But uh, hang on with us these next uh, this next half hour or so, and I think that you're going to find a few things that were very helpful for us, and part of the reason why we're sharing them is we think that they will be helpful for you as well. So, uh, Erica, I'm going to have you go first. Um, you know, we talked about having two or three big takeaways. We won't get to all of them, but what was one of the ones that you'd like to start with? What was something that you said, this could change the way that I do life, and I think it could help other people? 
Right away off the bat, uh, it was day number one, I think, of Secretary Condoleezza Rice, and she was uh, Secretary of State under the Bush administration. Mm-hmm. And uh, the interview format that they did, she had such profound. Um, she had such a profound way of speaking of her past when it came to obstacles and challenges from being a young girl, a young black girl in the South to then being under the Bush administration and such a, such a, it's a hard job (laughs) to be secretary of state. There's so many obstacles and so many challenges. So, So to hear her story of overcoming those challenges and my big takeaway from her was, I wrote this down. She said, you have to own your past, but you don't have to be a prisoner of it. Mm. And she, when she was telling these stories of of her life, um, I think it's easy for all of us to be a victim, right? It's yeah. easy for us to to stay on the ground, kind of shrink into ourselves, um, continue to let the cloud be over us. And, you know, my life is so hard. You know, why, God, are you doing this to me? Life is unfair, and she really had a way of speaking to the audience to to really show them that it you don't have to think that way. That is a choice. Um, she also said, when you tell yourself you're a victim, um, you hand control over your life to someone else. Yeah. And that really stuck with me. And when I think of, you know, the people and the surrounding things that have affected me in a negative way that are frankly have been out of my control, it was really inspiring to change my perspective. Uh, I don't have to let these these negative um, outside forces impact the person that I am and the person, the positive influence that I want to be on others. Yeah, I, she, she came right out the gate and um, just put it out there. Um, she came right out and said, there are no victims. And mm-hmm. I know if I said that, in the culture that we live in today, it would be hard to have enough credibility and intellectual capacity for all of us to agree on something like that. Um, Cause we just, our defenses go up immediately. We think about the times that um, we've been wronged. We think about the privilege that these other people have that I don't have. And um, it can very quickly devolve into just trying to prove that you are the victim and yet she she came right out and she defined that there are no victims. You can't control your circumstances. You can control what you do in these circumstances. And that's how she translated, uh, transferred into, you know, own your past. And I love how she did it. It, 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 does, it does shape you. I was so grateful she put it in there because sometimes you can you can make that like a Mr. Rogers thing and just whitewash the whole piece of it. Oh, there are no victims. And it actually sounds like we're doing a disservice, but to acknowledge that your past does shape you. But I think, you, you know, you said it, you don't have to become a prisoner of your past. Mm-hmm. And then she used a, she used a story, um, uh, kind of is it, is an interview trans. It, it kept on going forward. Um, they moved to a little bit of a different story about September 11th. And she talked about how there's a sense of remorse, but don't be paralyzed. And I was kind of thinking about that whole idea of you, you have to own your past, but don't become a prisoner to it. There will be a September 12th mm. and you have to be, you have to use today believing that there is a September 12th, that there's a next day coming. It's like, wow, that's, yeah. 
And what I really also, the way she wrapped up her talk in the end was going back to her faith and what God has done in her life. Um, And it's so interesting to think about uh, the negative things that impact me today. What I see maybe as, um, you know, a failure, um, something that happened to me that was unfair. I can use those things to see the blessings of tomorrow. Mm. Um, Back to that today, September 11th, but tomorrow it's, guess what? It's, you're going to wake up. It's a new day. It's September 12th. Let's use the things that we learned from our past. Let's, let's, let's hold, let's hold on to them, um, but sit with them and move forward with them rather than keep letting them keep you in the past. And that picture uh, that she painted um, really, really sat with me. She also said right at the end of her talk, when she brought her faith into it, using your mind, right? Thinking about it, not just your spirit will make your faith stronger and more resilient. And she touched on that, that during uh, that time in, uh, during 9-11, she really had to, she really had to use her mind Mm -hmm. um, and sit with what was happening around her and look inward. And it, you know, 20 some years later, it has made her, her, her faith stronger, not only her mind, her, 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 her emotional state stronger, but her faith stronger and she is more resilient for it. Yeah. You know, as you think about applying some of these, these things um, for me, and I think for us of, of, of Christians as people of God, it is a gospel um, piece. We don't sit in the sin that we committed. I remember somebody else giving advice, you know, when you fall, you get on your knees and you, you pray immediately. I know that there's sometimes a tendency, especially if I've mucked something up and I've messed it up. And it's like, I don't really want to go there. I don't really want to talk about it. And yet the best thing that you can do is get on your knees reminded that God has already forgiven this. But as we, we, we in humility repent, God says, I'm assuring you that I've forgiven you. Let's move forward with what we've we have. And I don't, again, there's just such in all of us, there is such a a desire to blame and to justify ourselves. And the moment that I go there, I get stuck in victim thinking instead of saying, God has allowed this circumstance into my life. I cannot understand it. Um, Mm -hmm. He's definitely not cheering for somebody to sin against me or for me to sin against them and and create a, uh, a victim temptation in their space but he knows who we are. He knows what it is that we will do. And so he's already stepped in to assure us that we can have the next day. Yeah, absolutely. And what a, what a, a, uh, a relief it is to feel that weight come off of your shoulders. When you are in a dark place, life is unfair. I hate that this has happened to me. When you finally get to a place to that next day where you are able to simply let it go and let it be where it is. Mm-hmm. It is such an amazing feeling of um, of release, and you feel again more resilient in who you are and and who your God is and what He has done for you. You know, I remember September twelfth, and it and it doesn't make that next day easy, but it gives you strength to step into it with purpose. Um, and not with fear. And I remember, I remember that after that one, you know, the 11th, we were just all in shock, but that September 12th, you've got a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of questions. 
and I had two little ones at home and I'm, I'm thinking, okay, what does my wife need? What is my, what do my kids need? Uh, what do I need? What does my work need? Okay. How do I do this today? Well, I had the strength knowing by faith, um, believing that God is going to be with me in my tomorrow today, you know, so powerful stuff that, that, um, that kind of Lisa, uh, Rice brought to us at the GLS this year. Um, I'm going to move to the opening one. Uh, Craig Grishel, uh, his he does a leadership podcast. So the guy has written books, and he's done a, he's done a very good job of helping people understand different things. And he he talked about the 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 well the lack of credibility that leadership in general has in our culture today. Uh, some of it for good reason, some of it not as good, but. It is a leadership crisis right now. And he talked about how trust is at the core of the issue. And he talked about, all right, if we're going to be good leaders, um, we need to be trustworthy people. And so as a leader, uh, one of his encouragements was to ask people, do you trust me? Uh, and he defined it as three parts, transparency plus empathy plus consistency. That's Those are the three elements of where trust comes from when you talk about relationship. Um, I'm going to jump to consistency. I'll give you the quick quick ones, and I'll, I'll just share what my takeaway was. I'm kind of curious to see what you thought of it. But transparency is a truth to share. Um, we have to be able to risk uh, our whole our whole self. So being vulnerable, being transparent as a leader, that's tra- that transparency uh, with a level of vulnerability is important. Um, people are impressed by our strengths, but uh, they connect with our weaknesses, and I thought that that was a really important thing to remember. It's um, I don't know about you, Erica, but you know you've had to lead some things. That's I want to impress people. I want to be trustworthy. I want to be, and and yet nobody really connects to me. They'll follow, but they're not really connected to me because I'm I'm not vulnerable enough. Yeah, and it was interesting that Craig said right in the beginning. It was my first note I wrote down. Was he said distrust is now society's default emotion? Mm. I think then. I think also Dr. Henry Cloud. He was the speaker. Um, the yeah, second, second day. day. Yeah, right. He was also his topic was on trust. So tying Craig's talk and uh, Henry's talk together. Henry shared a story of he was on a plane one day and he, you know, got into conversation with, with the gentleman next to him. And the gentleman was kind of going on a rampage. Yeah. I don't trust, I don't trust anyone anymore. Then this world, you can't trust anyone. And Henry cloud, you know, looked at him and said, well, you're on this plane, right? Do you, do you, do you trust that we're going to land? Do you, do you trust this? If you don't trust anyone, why why are you sitting on this plane? And I think for me, that was hard hitting. I can't imagine for the gentleman, what, what he felt (laughs) or thought when, when Henry told him that. Um, But I, it is sad that we do live in a society that it's almost our natural instinct. Just not everyone we meet, everyone we come across, we just don't trust them. We don't trust that uh, they're being authentic. We don't trust that they're taking us seriously. And so going back to your point of con- consistency, if that pilot has never failed a plane, you know, that's being consistent. That's, uh, you know, that's building trust in, in, in my life. If I am consistent and intentional on how I treat people and how I hold their trust, that is going to pay off in your relationships in the long run. Uh, Craig also said, it's what you do consistent, 
ultimately that matters when you're building trust. And I think without, without consistency, if you're not, if you're not continuing continuously uh, building that trust with people, is there even really a trust there? It's going to be, it's going to be broken. If it's not consistent, it's broken. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be hard to continue moving on in any relationship that you have, whether it be friend, workplace, romantic. Yeah. You know, he had um, transparency being the first one, empathy being the second one, the idea of, I notice you matter. That consistency one was what really hit me um, in part because of the limitation that it comes with. And here's what I mean by that. This this was not part of his talk, but you know, as, as he was going through it and I'm reflecting at what can we actually do? So consistency, um, the question he asked is which you is going to walk into the room um, so be clear with what you expect, reward it when you see it, correct it when you don't. Um, it's what you do consistently that gains people's trust. But as I, I was going through this, one of the other realities is that you and I are finite and the time that we have is finite. And I, I started thinking this, and I'm curious, how does this land with you? I can only be consistent fully trustworthy to so many people or partners. You know, consistency demands that you have the time to be consistent. And that means you have to prioritize or emphasize who is going to get the proper no. And I'm 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 an Enneagram too, so I'm a bit of a the people pleaser. I want to help people. But mm-hmm. if I say yes to too many people, guess what? I cannot be consistent Therefore, I cannot be trustworthy to the people I think I am. And so mm-hmm. I have to choose who I can actually be trustworthy to. It's a really interesting concept. And I think then that also could lead to a broader conversation of the the book we're reading as a team, Boundaries. Boundaries, yeah. And if you do not learn to set boundaries with the people around you that can lead to you know two extremes people stepping all over you because you don't know how to say no but people not trusting you because you're not a team player and you don't know how to say yes right and so i think in life we have to find that middle ground and that's where the boundaries come in which is important to as, as you continue to lead um and as people continue to look to you for you know whatever they may need yeah I had a mentor of mine, uh, Ed Shippey, um, who's, man, he's got to be close to 80 now, I think. Uh, I, I owe him a phone call. Um, but he he would tell me, uh, even starting 10 years ago, Mike, um, you can always say no if there's a higher yes. Um, so I have to really think a little bit more deeply about what's my real yes. And And then he would say, you have to choose to disappoint. You actually, you have to make a conscious decision on who you will disappoint. And I don't like that. And so, but when, when Craig started talking about consistency this way, that, that in order to be a leader who is trustworthy, you know, we, we have to have a emotional consistency, organizational uh, consistency, things of that nature. And, and so it, it's, my consistency is going to look a little bit different in different places, but there's still the reality that I only have so much time. So who will I choose to say no to? And if I don't, I will immediately become inconsistent with probably with just about everything else that I do mm-hmm. if, if I don't. 
And that's when, yeah. And that's there again, that's when that trust becomes broken because people don't know which version of yourself you're going to get in one, in one of our meetings a few weeks ago, pastor Pete brought this up. He said, I don't want to be the leader where, you know, we meet weekly and you don't know who, what, what Pete you're getting, you know, when, when you, when you walk in the room. And when he said that, that really, that really sat with me too who, when I walk into a room, are people nervous that they don't know what version of Erica they're going to get? I don't, I don't want to be that person. Um, and not every day is perfect. There's always ups and downs, you know, not naive to that, obviously, but I don't want to be the unhinged. Oh, I I don't know. Should we go by Erica? Like kind of walking around, you know, walking on eggshells around people. Um, and again, when, when you find someone who, uh, you just you like, I think I'm going to, I'm going to put Heidi's shoe on the spot. When mm-hmm. I walk into Heidi works with us and works very closely with Mike. And when I, when I walk into your guys's office, wanting to talk with Heidi about work or personal, I know the Heidi I'm going to get, I'm going to get the supportive, uplifting, hyping me up, Heidi, no matter what that lady yep. is going through in her life, she's such a source of light. And that has that has established such a trust in that relationship and it's really, really powerful. So I use her as a great example. Um, And I I think of her when I think of that consistency and trust, I always know the Heidi that I'm going to get. doesn't matter what I'm going through, what I tell her. I know I can trust her. I know how she is going to respond. She's going to respond with love and positivity and, and um, an uplifting attitude. And there again, she showed me that that's who she is consistently every single time. She's never broken that pattern. So now I know as we continue on in our friendship outside of work, even I know I can always go to her. Yeah. Which you'll have to tell me later on, you know, well, what's it like when I'm the only one in the office? Yeah. Oh, I just kind of walk by the door. And say, yeah, we Mike's just in the look, office. look blind past Mike's office when Heidi's Oh, look at there. that. There might be a note up. Oh, recording in progress. I just won't talk to him. No, I, you know, an applic- and here's an application point, you know, especially for those of you who are listening in with um, parents, uh, whether it's small children or quite frankly, even adult children, our consistency is a hallmark of, of our trustworthiness. Um, and certainly there are seasons in which um, I think even my kids would say that dad was not as trustworthy because he wasn't as consistent uh, or because he was consistently maybe not unhinged, but not as present as we wanted him to be. And so I, I mean, because that was consistent, I can trust it, but I also don't trust it. And as our kids are getting older now, that's one of the other things that I'm starting to learn is that we're in a new season. So we're trying to understand what the new uh, kind of default ground rules are, if you will, but to, to be consistent in uh, the way that we love Sally Walner. uh, I think she just, she's modeled this so well, you know, that, you know, part of our role as we get a little bit older as parents um, is to be there consistently when the, the bottom falls out. Cause our kids oftentimes are, you know, you know, you're in, you're a young adult running into some of the things that you've never seen before for the first time, you know, is there a community of people that you can go to because you trust them because they're consistently going to remind you of who you are in Christ, that your loved daughter, um, boy, we, our kids need that. Our adults, kid, kids need that. You know, I'm almost 50. My dad is 76. My mom is still uh, alive as well. And it's special right now to still come home and get a dad hug or get a mom hug. And that consistency of their love for me is, it's it's a beautiful thing. So parents, 
it's something for us to work hard on is to be consistent. That trustworthiness is so important. Yeah. And who's the most consistent one? When you think of a consistent trust and love, we look up above. Mm-hmm. And when you just said that about, um, you know, a hug and consistent love from a mom and dad, I thought of God. Yep. Uh, he is always there, no matter what I'm going through. He is there. I can trust that he is going to be there um, through every single season of my life. If nobody else is, if I feel like I'm the only one on this island, he is there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, his, the consistency that exists, and it's and it's the, his word. I mean, yeah. my word is trustworthy. Uh, it's it, it's it has and will stand the test of time. Our word is a as a light to our feet, a light to our path, a lamp to our path, and so it's a it's a beautiful thing. Our consistent Father. Now, let's transition to another one that we both had on our our top, um, and that was a guy named James Clear. Uh, the author of a book called Atomic Habits. Did you get it, by the way? I did not read it yet. This is on my, after I'm done with boundaries, I'm reading this one next. Did you read it? No, I, didn't, this one I haven't gotten a chance yet. Yeah. So why don't you kick this one off? Because you said this was also a big one for you. Um, give our, our listeners a little bit of a summary on, on who this guy is and um, what he's about. Right. So as like Mike said, James Clear, he wrote Atomic Habits and his whole philosophy is that the tiny changes in your life lead to remarkable results. May not seem like it at the time, um, but again, as you build on these tiny positive things in your life and you're striving to be the person who you want to be one day, you're going to, you know, may not feel like it in the process, but you look back at, at the last year, six months of your life, wow, I've come a long way. And mm-hmm. the the thing that he said that I highlighted, um, the number one thing he said, every action you take is a vote for the type of person you want to become. <laughs> and I love that because the, the vote for the type of person you want to become, you're advocating for yourself. You are, you're kind of looking at yourself from a distance and you're seeing your perfect self, the self that you would love to be and you're striving for. And you're like, yep, I want to be that Erica. I don't want to be the Erica that, you know, no one knows what they're going to get when they walk into or walk by my desk or walk into a room. I want to be that Erica. And what leads to that are those tiny changes in your life. And this can be related to absolutely everything. And I know I've talked about this on the podcast before, but my health and my my fitness journey was, I would say, my number one habit where it's not even a habit anymore. It is so integrated into my life and who I am. And I think that's the goal when you want to have something be a core part of who you are. Do not expect it to happen overnight. But I think James does a good job of painting that picture for us where we change small things and we slowly but surely integrate these things into our life. And then, you know, we look back and boom, it is, it's a part of who we are. Yeah. Um, Another thing he said was stop focusing on your current position and focus on your trajectory. Again, if you are someone who wants to be in his word every day, but you, you, you aren't there, you don't know where to start. Um, First step, buy a Bible, buy a Bible that, that you are going to read well, buy a Bible that works for you, whatever translation or whatever it looks like for me. I've talked about this before. Mine's colorful and has room for highlights and pictures Buy a Bible. Okay. Done. The next step, open your Bible and then close your Bible. 
And again, I'm just using the Bible as an example. Um, You know, the next step, read one verse, just flip to a random page, you know, close your eyes, pick a verse. Mm -hmm. And slowly but surely you're going to get into this pattern of this is, this is what I do every day. I just open my Bible. I pick a verse. Oh, well today. Okay. Two weeks have gone by today. I want to read a whole chapter. Um, Can I, can I jump in real quick? Please. Um, you know, just kind of give a couple of, of, uh, you know, the, the tweetable statements that he said for our listeners. Uh, basically he asked this, how can you get 1% better at tomorrow? Uh, understanding that um, excellence is about small improvements over time. It, if anybody's in the finance world, the compound interest curve um, is kind of the picture. And then he, he said a couple of other things that were really, really interesting. Um, the impact of 1% change today is not much. Uh, but over time, it compounds. And so he said a couple things. Check this out. We're all just following our habits. And then three years later, and consequences knock on the door. I thought that was really interesting. And uh, the other one is habits are the compound interest of small decisions over time. And time will magnify whatever you feed it. Yep, so, I have that one right here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, my highlight when I went through my notes, I was like, "Ooh, highlight this one." Um, time yeah. will magnify whatever you feed it, and so for a lot of people in our culture today, Christian and non-Christian, you know, going back to our previous point, I'm the victim. I'm the victim, and yet many times, and and there's absolutely there's there's truth in some of that, but in many instances, in my experience for myself personally, more times than not. Time shows what I've actually been feeding it. And I find that I'm actually far more responsible for my circumstances than that one moment of somebody did this to me and I reacted this way. Now, my reaction was a buildup of years of bad habit, small decisions over time, and I didn't even know it. Yeah. And all yeah. of a sudden I'm here. That. Yep. Um, I absolutely love that that he he hit that home with that point for sure. And he gave us he gave us a roadmap. This is the thing I, I I didn't read the book, but we got we got the notes of this. And I I have to double check. I don't remember if he was one of the ones who had um, PDF uh, download of this. I I don't remember. But he said said this: if you don't rise to your goals, you will fall to your systems. And so, why don't people more people uh, get into habit change? The problem is not so much um, you; it's the system that carries you. In other words, and, and you kind of gave the example of the Bible reading, uh, another friend of ours had shared an example. Um, and so for me, one of the things that I found was I would like to be in better physical shape. Now on the surface, it's like, you know, like any, anybody, I just want to look better in the mirror. How self-centered is that? But what I started to realize is that when I look at the person in the mirror who is out of shape and I know is not putting in any real work or effort to be physically fit and maybe minding uh, what it is all that I'm eating, it's actually pretty much a reflection of where my internal and my my emotional state and my my spiritual state is. It's out of shape. And I may, I'm not making the kind of effort. And so I started realizing that, you know, the real reason why I want to be in shape is because I think it will actually, it's a better reflection of where I am as a whole person. 
And yet I didn't know where to get started. And so what I did is I can't do pushups like normal people because I, I hurt my wrists. So I can't do that. I have to do them on my knuckles and that hurts. But I, I got uh, kickboxing gloves. And I've had them for like ever, you know, so because they're nice and padded. And so I'll do push-ups like that, but it's annoying. And so what I decided to do is I needed to just put it in my way that I would at least have to move it. So the first part of the change was um, I'm just going to put these kickboxer gloves on top of my pillow at night uh, in the morning so that they're there at night when it's saying, hey, you need to use me, use this. And mm-hmm. I think I'm now into about 14 days in a row of actually doing push-ups. And lo and behold, it starts to change the way that I, f- I feel about myself. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. No, uh, the uh, I just want to go back to what you said about looking in the mirror. And I just had this thought in my mind. The way you view yourself is how you're going to treat yourself. Mm. Or you can go flip that, you know, the way you treat yourself, the way I treat Erica is the way I view myself. Yeah. If I treat myself with negative words and I'm constantly talking down to myself. That's how I feel about myself. I must not feel very confident about myself. And so I, I think if we take a minute, I really love that, you know, looking in the mirror that it's not necessarily self-centeredness and I want to be perfect because life's all about me. It's, it's, what am I doing? And how is that? Is that it's how it's how you view yourself, right? A mirror is a reflection. And, you know, it makes it, it it makes it hard to follow the second part of God's Jesus great commandment, you know, love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the other command is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. I am much more short tempered with people impatient when I look in the mirror and I'm, I'm not those things to myself. And it's one of those, it's boy, it just, I've probably had this thought 25 times in my life, but it just feels like it sticks a little bit better the older I get. And I'm like, why am I 50 years old and just really starting to own some of this and do something about it uh, for the first time in my life? And he kind of speaking into that. So again, learning to, to, to love yourself is actually important. What, how do you speak to yourself is an important thing to just take note of, because it's probably a pretty good indication of how you're going to be with other people. Mm-hmm. But he said, your system is designed to get you your current results. So if you don't have a goal, you will fall to your system and your system is getting you what you're getting right now. Yeah. Which and, is you not reaching your goal. <laughs> right, right, right. It's something far less than the goal. And so what he did, and we won't go into all of this for time's sake, but um, he actually had four sta- stages of habit um, tra- uh, habit formation from cue to craving to response to reward. Um, and then he talked us through that, but then he, t- to undo a habit, you can use this same logic. So for those of you who are strategic in your thinking, if you're like, I need help changing my life. I believe in God. I believe that I'm forgiven, but I'm just, I, I'm stuck in a system that needs to change. How do I do that? That's why I can't re- wait to read this book next is because he had a system for being able to help us uh, interrupt the system that's getting these results that are far less than what my goal is and to make some of these small incremental changes. I, I It's just, that's pretty amazing. 
and on top of that, one of the things then he and I think our audience then can um, can do a practical step they can start with is look at your environment. Um, one of the he said one of the most one of the uh, drivers of your habits come from your environment. Mm. Use commitment devices to enforce those positive habits. And when what I did think that mean, of, do you remember? Yeah. So I believe um, when I think of my own life, so commitment devices. So um, is 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 a new gym outfit gonna gonna really make me feel better about going to the gym, or a new pair of tennis shoes gonna make me more excited to run? It those are those things you invest in, hmm. and you know I'm okay. I want, I want to run a 5k. You know what? I I need a new pair of running shoes. Oh, I love how these look. These are great. They're comfortable. That's a device to use to help meet your goal. If I am like, oh, I don't have any new shoes. Like I just, I, and then you think, oh, I, I really don't like running. I, you know, I don't even think I should do this. Oh no. You know, I invested in this nice pair of running shoes. Like, you know, you know, professional athletes use these. I want to try them out. I, I feel good in them. I look good in them. Oh, I need to run in them. I can't just let them sit in the closet. So when they hold those devices in your environment holds you accountable. Yeah. And I go back again to the Bible that I own and I will preach that I love this Bible to the day I die because it really has changed my life and the way that I am in God's word. Look at your environment, look at the devices around you because they will help hold you accountable. Yeah. And finish with this one before we move on to the our last um conversation point but james made this comment true behavior change is actually identity change and that was kind of like when he dropped the mic it's like oh like we've been talking this whole time about making changes and habits and systems and stuff like that and yet what we're really talking about is this is an identity change and i love the passage we've been talking about it uh paul and i and a few others just this idea of you know, you work out part of the sanctification is you work the salvation. So God saved me. God loves me. He forgave me. He called me his own. How do I work that out into all the different places of my life? And uh, James Hine, the pastor down at St. Marcus at, a, at an Awaken Alive event, he was helping us understand that the, the, the gospel is kind of like a diamond and a bright light as you twist it. It just glitters and glints in all kinds of different ways. And you see the color of it. And so as you work it out, it's almost like pizza dough. You know, you're trying to cover that whole tin. How do I work out God's salvation so that the identity that I have in Christ works into all the nooks and crannies of my life? And so uh, that idea of behavior change is what the gospel actually does by changing our heart, changes our identity. And now it's part of the challenge of a, of a life on this side of heaven is how do I work that in? And some of that is the process of habit. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why I think there's, there's some real power in this book for us as Christians um, to be more Christ-like with the decisions that we make with our lives. Absolutely. Um, I, there was, there's two other quick ones. Uh, one that I thought, uh, so the guy who is the director of uh, The Chosen uh, he was talking about uh, in an interview, um, he, it, it was like this little off comment that like Dallas Jenkins, but he said something about this. Um, the interviewer was talking about how authentic all the pieces of the set looked to make it a believable place. And Dallas said, we sand the underside of the drawer. 
And I just, you know, we're talking about habits and consistency, but authenticity. Nobody's going to see or care about the underside of the drawer, except for maybe the person who's pulling it out and putting it in and realizes this wasn't just a cheap knockoff. We did half halfway. We did it the whole way. Therefore, we it it, it creates a culture where we bring everything into into it. Did you remember that that comment? Did you hear him say that? I didn't remember that comment, but there was another one of Dallas Jenkins that I think we talked right. about as a team. Um, he said when you know when he was working on you know yeah uh, you know creating the chosen, and he said it's not your job to feed the five thousand. Yeah. All he has to do is supply the loaves and the fish. It is not his job to make this one of the best, most successful TV shows on the planet. It is just his job to simply just give what he has to the world. Man. And you, that was so, I remember Heidi was, I got, I have goosebumps thinking about it because Heidi was sitting right next to me and she kind of like touched my arm and she was like, <gasps> cause it kind of took the breath out of all of us <laughs> in the room. It was yeah. such just one simple sentence and it was so hard hitting that idea that I don't have to carry the weight of the world. I don't have to be everything to everybody. I just have to give what I can give. Yeah. No, I'm so glad you grabbed that one. That was, yeah, that one was one of those exhale. Cause I, I mean, especially in the church, you know, you feel like you have to get it right all the time. I have to be perfect. I have to be perfect for my God, but then I have to be perfect for 2,500 other people who are going to have different opinions about what I'm doing or the decisions that we may make as a team or whatever the case may be. And we're still praying that the gospel would come to more and more people. And yet I just am disappointing everybody. It's like, God's like, no, I don't need you to carry the weight of 5,000 people. Just bring what you got. Yeah. Yep. I think it translates transitions um, to one more that we'll mention just Uh, So Pat Gelsinger is the CEO of the Intel Corporation, and his talk was pretty good, but he, again, kind of this little off-the-path comment that he kind of made, a bit of a tangent. He said, if you have no direction, you'll always get there. Mm. And I thought, hmm, yeah, I've, I've been in those kinds of wildernesses where it's like, yeah, if you have no direction, you'll always get there. And I think that that's sometimes why we don't want to set a goal uh, because at least I know I won't get lost because I'll just be here. Um, I can always win if I don't try. Mm. Ooh, ouch. But then he said this about um, um, the challenge of being a leader. And it's something that Moses learned and Joseph learned and the apostle Paul learned. And then I keep learning over and over that God is very serious about his kingdom. He really does not care about Mike's kingdom or Erica's kingdom, not if it's going to get in the way of his kingdom. And so to that end, God will, it's what Pat said, God will kill your, your vision, rebuild your character and re-release you into vision. And I thought that was really neat. And I, I I, want to, I guess I think Eric, I want to close on that, on that idea. Um, how did you respond to that as you hear that? Do you it's another, resonate? It's another, yeah, it's, and it's another ouch though. Like it's oof, like, and I think to encompass all three of those, and I apologize if I said this on the previous podcast or if I don't remember who I told it to, 
Um, but it's really been sticking with me. I, I have this in my head that again, encompasses all three of those that you just said. If you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. And as I've gone through what I've gone through in the last year of my life, uh, a big life transition, that that brings the light back because it, it grounds me and reminds me that this is not my plan. Mm. God has so much more for me than I could even fathom today. And, you know, even today, there are things from my childhood or my early adult life that I look back on that were that were that were hard. But I'm sitting here today like. Yeah. Thank you, God. Mm-hmm. Thank, you, thank you so much uh, for those lessons. Hard in the moment. You may feel like you're losing direction in the moment, but I'm sitting here today. I'm like, thanks, God. <laughs> thanks for having my back. I think it's one of the hardest things as a Christian. You know, some of you who are listening in on this, we're all in different places in our faith journey. Um, some of us may have an Abraham faith uh, toward the end of his life um, when he could sacrifice Isaac and and trust that somehow God was still going to fulfill his promises. Some of you might be pretty new to Christianity and going, well, I'm not sure how deep this trust is going to go here. But this picture that so much of the the challenge in my life, when I say, Lord, why are you doing this? God, why? God, why? He's answering our prayers. And you're like, well, what prayer? I did not pray for cancer. I did not pray for a car accident. I did not pray for divorce. I did not pray for my kid getting sick. I did not pray for this. I did not ask God for this. And yet, every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, what do we say? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And what is it? What is his kingdom? What is his will? God's will is that all people would come to a saving knowledge of faith to be able to spend eternity with their maker in relationship and perfection with him for all eternity. That is the design. That is God's heart. That's the kingdom that he is about. And any other kingdom that stands in the way of that will not stand. And yet so many of my prayers, and and it's not that they're wrong for us to ask God. He says, ask me, ask me, ask me. But he also reminds us that your life here on earth is temporary and I will use it all to help you get to heaven and give you a testimony that carries on the gospel. So I will, God will, kill your vision. But he won't leave you there. Through the hardship, he will rebuild your character and then re-release you into vision. And if you have some, all right, Mike, I want a story I can read. Uh, I'd encourage you to take a look in Genesis and read the life of Joseph. Um, That's a great one. And if you want, you can... um, you can go into Exodus, you can read the story of Moses who, you know, I'm going to save my people. And he goes and kills one Israelite guy, uh, one, one Egyptian. And then he winds up in exile for 40 years and God calls him out as he's been working on his character. And even through the uh, uh, through the Exodus, he's still working on Moses' character. It's just amazing. Well, guess what? God's working on us too. So, um, yeah, I pray yeah, that God I- gives us all direction. Yep. Wonderful. I say we end on that because I think that wraps wraps everything up nicely yep. that we were just talking about. So the Global Leadership Summit, um, you can, um, if you wanted to, you could go to the globalleadershipsummit.org 
Um, and uh, you would actually be able to, uh, there is a fee, but you would be able to get access to all of the talks. Um, again, very good summit. Not every talk is going to speak to you, but uh, these were some of the ones that really jumped out for Erica and our, our and myself, as well as a number of our team who are also there as well. So we'll put a couple of links, hopefully, into the, uh, the notes uh, so that you can find out more on your own. But uh, this is... Uh, this is great questions, great conversations. And I just want to thank you guys for being a part of all of this. If you have questions that we have not had a chance to talk about, or if there's something that you've really just been dying to ask and want an answer to, I don't know that we will always be able to get the answer, but we will be going to God's word about it. And it will always turn into a great conversation. And may God give us wisdom as we read his word. Until next time, I'm Mike Westendorf, and this is Erica Dresden with us this week. And we will see you again next time. 